Hey everybody and welcome to the Cubs Corner. I'm your host Anthony Pasquale and baseball is officially back. The Cubs are in action over the weekend and dropped two of three against the Rangers. And here to break it all down, we welcome back Tony Andraki. Thank you for coming on the show, Tony. No problem. Thanks for having me back. So one of the things I liked that you wrote an article about, I believe it was last week, is you said this is now Javi's team. And his performance over the weekend really showed it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's showing signs of, of maturity while still like being hobby, if that makes sense. Um, it was there's a I don't know about funny, but just a little slightly humorous moment in Sunday's game. Um, he waited for Lance Lynn through a, a slider low and away, and Javi laid off, and it was right you know at the on the cusp of the zone and it was a pitch he normally would have swung at so he lays off and it goes at 3-2 and then Lynn throws basically the same pitch and then Javi reaches out and just flies out harmlessly so right there it shows how he's made progression to let it go one time and that's how he still has room to grow uh, the fact that he swung at it again instead of walking so you know it's funny with as great as he's been he actually still has room to grow and that's crazy to think about and right before the season started, we saw somebody that Javi was going to be a little bit in competition with for playing time, Ian Happ, get demoted to AAA. What did you think of that move? Yeah, that was interesting. I, I definitely was surprised. I wasn't anticipating um, it, that, you know, Happ would go down to the minor leagues. I, I had penciled him in as a guaranteed roster spot. But it makes sense. He has struggled all the way to the end, you know, from the second half of last year through spring training and really for him to have any sort of value because he, he's just struggled from the right side as a switch hitter the last, uh, couple of years since he's come up. He, he just really hasn't gotten it going there. But yeah, I mean, for him to really be valuable to this team, he, uh, he has to hit from the left side because that's his platoon side. So if, if he and Elmore are going to split time in center field, obviously Hap is going to have the value when he's facing right-handed pitchers and hitting left-handed. That's where he was struggling most. I mean, that's where he was striking out as much as anything. So, um, for his, his good side basically to be still a, a struggle, it makes a ton of sense why they still sent him down. And I think it also sends a message that, they, they keep saying that it's about production over potential, and sending a guy like Ian Happ down to the minor league sure backs that up. And another player that has been talked about in this offseason really needs to break out, especially if this year really is production over potential, is Kyle Schwarber, and he had a big series, even though he didn't get the start opening day. Yeah, he's looked really, really good. I, I mean, he might look better than any other Cubs hitter, and that's not a knock on anybody who they all had a fantastic weekend, but he just, he really looks good. I mean, he's locked in. He's driving the ball hard to center field in the other way. He's laying off pitches that are close. Uh, the only strikeout I could think of was, uh, was a nasty two-seamer. Um, that really got him up at the top of the zone on a full count pitch, but yeah, Schwarber, Schwarber looks like he's going to have an absolutely monster season in the, if the first couple games are any indication. Is that something you saw from him in the spring, or is he really just coming into his own when the games matter? Yeah, I mean, I think in the spring, uh, you know, there's so much made about his new stance. It's not really a new stance. It's going back to his old ways. Uh, he's crouching a little bit more, a little bit more in an athletic position. And What the Cubs have said is that's what he 
did when he was in college. And so he's really getting back to his roots, basically. So um, it is something that he has shown already, and he's just putting into practice in the games. But, I mean, really, if you go back and look at his swing in, like, the 2014 uh, minor leagues or in 15 when he first came up, it's it's very similar swing and stance to what it was back then. And over the offseason, everything that was addressed was in regards to the offense. The offense broke, and they want to try to fix it this year. And 28 runs in three games, if that's any indication, the offense is fixed. Yeah. It, it, one thing to keep in mind, or a couple things, I guess, are in Texas, it's a great hitter's ballpark, and the fact that the wind was, was blowing out, sometimes howling out all three games over the weekends, and you know how much it, it changes at Wrigley when the wind's blowing yeah. out versus wind. Um, but, and, you know, the Rangers are not a good team, and they're not a good pitching staff. Um, so, obviously, you have to take that all with a grain of salt. We'll see how the Cubs will be, you know, when next week when they have games at Wrigley and it's 45 degrees or something like that, and the wind's blowing in. But, yeah, that being said, the, the offense did exactly what you wanted them to see. They wore out the middle of the field. They wore out the opposing pitching staff, forcing them to throw a ton of pitches. Uh, they took walks. They hit the ball well the other way. They hit with power. They knocked in runs with, with productive outs. They really just did everything well. And, and for me, that's the biggest thing. Like it, it really doesn't matter where you are or who you're playing, but if you can be patient and really wait for your pitch and draw walks like the 2016 team did so well, you're going to keep on putting runners on base and, and wreak havoc to pitchers. Yeah, definitely. And, and this team, remember, so many people look at the second half of last year, but this offense led baseball in on-base percentage and OPS and position player war last year for the first half. Everything broke after the second half. But, you know, as good as this offense is, and even without Chris Bryant for a little bit last year, we've already seen this. So it's going to be for the Cubs to continue to drive this forward and, and have a good, consistent year all year. But, yeah, I mean, you look individually, Chris Bryant looks healthy. Like we already talked about, Javi and Schwarber look like they're potentially taking the next steps. And then other things. I mean, Hayward and Almora had, had some decent at-bats, David Bodie as well. And Rizzo really looks locked in. I mean, he crushed that homer that he had on Sunday. Yeah, that that might have been one of the farthest balls I think I've ever seen him hit. Yeah, it, it, I mean, he just got all over it. It looked like he was exactly what he was looking for, one pitch, one spot. So he <laughs> that was really impressive. I'm surprised. I forget. It was only clocked there. Uh, Measured at like 420 feet or something. I really? thought it was going to be way more than that, actually. Yeah, me too. And you you look at this Cubs team, 28 runs in three days, like we mentioned, but they come away with two losses out of the three games. What did you see in that opening series? Yeah, I think it's everybody's fears, worst fears realized, the fact that this bullpen is not very good. And I'm not saying that it's not going to be this bad or even bad for the rest of the year. I mean, Remember, Joe Madden somehow made it work last year when, you know, Jesse Chavez was a complete unknown, and then Jorge De La Rosa and Jaime Garcia and Alec Mills, all these guys, you know, they still, the Cubs still had the number one bullpen in the National League, even after Strope went down and Morrow went down and C.G. Edwards and Steve Stishek ran into a wall and everything like that. So they'll figure it out. They'll get better. And like we mentioned with the offense, I think that's a little bit of an asterisk here for the pitching staff 
is the, the hitting conditions. I mean, it was prime for all hitters. That ballpark is for the most part. And that's what Cole Hamels said as well. Um, he said it was a little different being in March, but you know, Hamels was talking, he pitched there a lot and he's like, this offense that we're facing the Rangers and just that ballpark in general, a lot of teams give up a lot of runs here. So it's, it's only a three game sample size, but as much as we're, lauding the Cubs offense, there's criticism to be said about the, the the Cubs pitching staff and run prevention as well. And another big question mark, you Darvish, I think the stuff was there, the command definitely wasn't in his start, ended up walking a lot of guys, didn't make it out of the third inning. It, do you think any of that had to do with some pressure of being back in Texas or even pressure of being the number two starter on a team like the Cubs? Yeah, I think it's more of the first thing you said than the latter. I, I don't think he really cares about being number two. I, he was only kind of number two, not necessarily only, but one of the main reasons was he really wanted to pitch in Texas again. They're, um, I don't know about demolishing, but they're building a new stadium for the Rangers, and this is the last year of this ballpark, and this is where he spent the first six years after he came over from Japan to America here. This is where he said he grew up. This is the the fans that, that he pitched in front of, a lot of his teammates that were his teammates when he first came over. So it meant a lot to him to be able to pitch. And I do think that the emotions got to him a little bit. I mean, he admitted that he was emotional, but he made no excuses. And therein lies the, the key, in my opinion, the fact that he made no excuses and he came away healthy. Last year, there was always an excuse, and we ended up finding out that obviously he needed surgery on his elbow. He had a very painful bone bruise, so I'm not criticizing the guy, but there was always an excuse or a reason beyond just him. And after his start Saturday, he was like, the ball was fine, the mound was fine, everything was fine. It was just me. I was the problem. And that... That says a lot because I think that that shows where he's at. It illustrates where he how he feels about himself and, and moving forward. And I do think that portends good things. And and Hamels, like you said, he mentioned that that ballpark is just a hitter's ballpark. Today on the mound, it's Kyle Hendricks. Just recently got that extension. What can you say about Kyle Hendricks? He's really the forgotten guy in that rotation. I mean. How how is Hendricks their number four starter? You know, I mean, if you just look at it in isolation in a vacuum, obviously Hendricks is not. But then you look at Lester, Darvish, and Hamels, and it makes sense why Hendricks comes in fourth there. So um, the Cubs have the potential to have a very good starting staff. I mean, I actually thought Hamels pitched very very well. It was just uh, a rough situation and scenario. The Delano the Shields Grand Slam. Other than that, he had a very very good start and outing. But, yeah, I mean, Hendricks has the potential, I believe. I think he'll have the best numbers of any Cubs starter. I think he'll, he'll lead the team in wins, probably in innings pitched, uh, possibly in ERA and, and whip and some other stats like that as well. In reality, he, he's probably their ace at this point. If if they had to start game one of a postseason series right now, it may be Hendricks getting the ball like it was in the 2017 postseason. I would agree, and... I think one of the interesting things we saw, especially on um, opening day, which with Javi homering twice and then Christian Yelich from the Brewers homering once, and then Yelich started off the next game with a homer, a little bit of a back and forth there like we saw the end of last year with the MVP. But then it was interesting because Javi said it may have been a little bit of a distraction to him last year. 
Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. He mentioned that briefly at the end of last season, and and I do need to follow up with Javi more about how he felt like it was a distraction and so on. But yeah, it it makes sense. I mean, I think Javi. One of the things that I like so much about him is he's brutally honest in in good ways, and, and I don't actually I don't think there's really a bad way to it. I mean, he holds people accountable. He holds himself accountable. I think back to like last year when he was pissed about a pop up and he just threw the bat down and didn't run and immediately after was, you know, took a completely accountable for it and admitted that it was a mistake. So I think for him to say that for to admit that the MVP race kind of got to him a little bit, I think that also shows maturity. So I, I'm really curious to see more of what Javi can do this year with all this maturity as he takes a leadership role, more of a leadership role, and so on moving forward. And the counterpart from that MVP discussion, Christian Yelich, off to a red heart stop start for the Brewers, has has them, I believe, at three and one after their series with the Cardinals, and. One of the things that they didn't expect is a couple of the back end of their bullpen to get injured and go down right before the season start. I believe Knable's out the year now. Do you see Kimbrell potentially in in the Brewers uniform anytime soon? I, I don't think so. I mean, I we saw um, Tom Hadricourt actually wrote it uh, wrote an article. I think it came out Saturday or Sunday the fine Brewers B reporter there, he was saying that the Brewers basically don't have the money, so don't expect Kimbrell to walk through the door unless for some reason Kimbrell decides to take less money than he would normally maybe get somewhere else. And it's hard to see that happening. Um, even if he signs a one-year deal, he probably would want more than the $17 million that he turned down from the Red Sox with the qualifying offer. So he'd, he'd want somewhere like what Yasmani Grandal got, with, which was about $18 million. So I think uh, I, I think Kimbrell will eventually sign for more than that. I don't think the Cubs or Brewers or maybe even Cardinals could afford him right now. So, so I'm really curious to see what happens and where Kimbrell ends up. But, yeah, right now I, I don't think – Cubs fans have to worry about him going to the Brewers, which is obviously a very, very good thing. But it is sad news. I mean, you never want a player to, to get injured, especially going some, undergoing something like Tommy John surgery. Um, but at the same time, I mean, just simple on the field, it obviously lessens the Brewers' um, back end of the bullpen when they have Hayter still, who's just phenomenal. Jeremy Jeffress is dealing with a shoulder injury. Obviously, Knable's out all year. And then they move some of their other young fire throwers, uh, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta all moved to the rotation. So they, they're really weakened the whole back end, the entire bullpen, but especially the back end of the bullpen from the end of last year. And you said Cubs fans probably don't have to worry about the Brewers or the Cardinals maybe getting Kimbrell. Are Cubs fans in the right, right place to hope that maybe Kimbrell comes to the Cubs to save the bullpen? Yeah, I don't think that's happening either. I mean, that I just don't understand if if they, if they were going to pay Kimbrel, they would have already paid him. I mean, they, these first couple of games didn't show the Cubs anything different than they felt about their bullpen or, or anything else. They they knew what they were getting into for this season. You know, this is this is nothing new, nothing crazy. The fact that they even DFA'd Brian Dunstan was actually a little surprising given the financial state of the team. But yeah, I, I don't see the Cubs continue to say they don't have any money and every action that they've done since the end of last year proves it. I, unless Kimbrell is willing to sign for a couple million dollars only, which I don't see happening, 
I don't think he's walking through the door at Wrigley either. So instead of talking about the bullpen, which is one of the, the darker spots on this Cubs team, let's talk about a bright spot, and that is the way Anthony Rizzo hits with two strikes. He had a couple of great two-strike knocks over the weekend, and I'm starting to see a couple other players, Almora being one of them, kind of adopting that same approach with two strikes. Yeah, Almora's always been a guy that, that doesn't strike out a ton, but you're right. Anthony Rizzo has always been a very, very good example that Madden and the entire Cubs coaching staff tries to point to for other hitters, young hitters or even veterans who are still trying to figure it out because he's great at it. I mean, he, he's taken a lot of the same things that Joey Votto does really, really well, chokes up with two strikes. Uh, he's right on top of the plate and is able to turn his hips for anything inside but can cover the complete outside corner and, and even a little off it. And he just has a fantastic eye. So he knows exactly where the strike zone is and what he's going to be able to do, where, you know, what's a strike, what's a ball, and so on. So, yeah, Rizzo, this year I expect him to, to have definitely more walks than strikeouts, but I, you might even see, like, a significantly more. You might see 10, 15, 20 more walks than strikeouts. And you mentioned on the, the NBC Sports Chicago Cubs Talk podcast that because Rizzo's going to be sandwiched in between Bryant and Baez, he should see a lot of good pitches, too. Yeah, he really should. It, you, you saw it a little bit this weekend. We just talked about that homer, and that's true. I mean, Chris Bryant's going to be in front of him, and Bryant is a guy that's going to flirt with the 400 uh, on-base percentage. So Rizzo's going to come up with guys that are on base a ton, especially you know as Ben Zobris continues to hit leadoff as well. And then, yeah, you talk about protection. What better protection than the MVP runner-up last year? So, And, and Javi can just – he proved it, too, on opening day, but – Javi is never, uh, you never count him out. I mean, you can throw him four pitches out of the zone and he can hit all four out of the ballpark to any field. So it, he strikes fear in opposing pitchers. So yeah, putting Anthony Rizzo on is not something the opposition will want to do consistently. So he, he should see a good amount of pitches to hit this year. And this, as free agency is finally over and the season started, we saw Bryce Harper and Manny Machado linger all the way up, almost until March until they signed. And now we're starting to see a lot of extensions come through, whether it's been the big ones like Mike Trout and Nolan Arenado, Aaron Nola, even Paul Goldschmidt with the Cardinals, Kyle Hendricks from the Cubs just got one like we mentioned, and even Xander Bogarts today with the Red Sox. Do you think we're going to see more of the same with that? And especially now that Hendricks signs, do you, you think maybe Theo and Jed try to pull the trigger on a couple of other guys to extend them long term? Yeah, I do. And... I think there's a lot of curious cases to be made. Chris Bryant's probably the toughest guy to extend because Scott Boris is his agent and Boris, you know, hardly any of it. I don't think, in fact, any of his clients are ones that have signed an extension yet. I might be wrong on that, but he's typically wants all of his players to get to free agency and Bryce Harper, one of his biggest free agent this year. Just proved it, and Jake Arrieta also proved it last winter, and Eric Hosmer as well. I mean, these guys still get paid. Boris still gives his top guys the most money in free agency, and really for Bryant and Javi as well, when they hit free agency in three years, they're still going to probably be elite players and possibly at prime positions at third base and, and shortstop or, or second or wherever a, a team would want Javi to play. And Bryant will only be 30, Javi will only be 29. So, 
they they should command a ton of money in the open market. So if the Cubs are going to retain either of those guys, they're going to have to pay up. There will not be a hometown discount. But some of these other guys, Anthony Rizzo will be 32 by the time his contract's up. So And he said that he wants to be a Cub for life. He's already given the Cubs a, a hometown discount, so I don't know how much of one he'd take again. But that being said, he's probably the most likely guy to sign an extension next. And then you go on down the line. I mean, who knows about Wilson Contreras as well. But Kyle Schwarber is a really interesting case because if the DH actually comes to the National League or the Cubs feel like it is, then Schwarber becomes that much more valuable because you know as he ages, as he gets to 30 and climbs over it, that there's always going to be a potential DH spot for him as well. So I think all of that would help uh both sides, but the Cubs especially want to get a, an extension in place for him. But yeah, you know, really the, the next big free agent now that Hendricks is here coming off the books is three years away. So the Cubs do have plenty of time. And usually we see guys sign like about two years or so away from free agency. So I'd say look for the next extension or potential extension to be sometime about a year from now. And do you think maybe because Contreras and Schwarber didn't have the years maybe they would have liked last year? If they tried to extend them now, it might be a little bit cheaper? Uh, yeah, I think that's the case. But Contreras has four years left. Schwarber has three as well. So I don't think either of the, I don't think either side actually feels a, Pressure. any sort of urgency, yeah, or desperation to, to sign an extension right now because they're, they're so affordable. So from the team perspective, you know, why rush? And then for those guys, I mean, like you said, they are coming off down years. So, they believe in themselves, and they'll want to bet on themselves. So I imagine that that we won't see an extension from either of those guys for another year or possibly two. Gotcha. And today the Chicago Cubs are in Atlanta taking on the Braves. The Braves have high expectations, playoff expectations this year, but got swept by Bryce Harper and the Phillies over the weekend. What do you expect to see in this series where both teams are pretty good teams but have 0-3 and 1-2 and records? Yeah, it's the Braves are going to be a contender. I know, like you mentioned, they're off to a bad start, but they definitely will be a contender this year. And I, I love that team. It's a fun team to watch. I mean, you're talking about two of the best first basemen in all of baseball with Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo kind of going head-to-head. But the Braves have so much young, exciting talent led by Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies. And then they got Josh Donaldson as well and Nick Markakis back and Brian McCann. So it should be very interesting few games just from the sense that you know there are two really good teams here but also i think the the braves hubs series uh season series last year was very interesting you had uh the the comeback that the cubs had against at wrigley against the braves and then you had they had to come back because they're two different rainouts so atlanta had to come back to chicago for a one game series the cubs had to go to atlanta for a one game series which was both kind of awkward but you know we had uh atlanta tearing up Jose Quintana in the first two, three innings, um, and then Tommy LaStella hitting a game-winning homer down in Atlanta. So these teams have, have, were very interesting to play against each other last year, and I expect more of the same this season. And especially since both teams are contenders, the Cubs go from a team that really isn't going to be that good this year from the Rangers to the Braves and then the Brewers right after that. So they've got their work cut out for them this week. 
Yeah, they really do. And then, like we talked about, coming home as well to what should be cold weather and probably not very good hitting weather or even pitching weather in terms of gripping the ball either. So, yeah, they definitely have their work cut out for them. I think that's why it was so key. It would have been key to at least win the series in Texas. But they really had a chance to sweep, and, and they probably should have come out of there with three wins. So it, it hurts getting off kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. But, you know, the Cardinals are losing right now as we're talking about this and it, at risk of going to one and four to open the year. And the Brewers, as we mentioned, have already had been weakened quite a bit from last year's team. So it'll be it's a long season. But obviously, yeah, the, the Cubs would have liked to have at least entered this tough stretch two and one instead of one and two. I would agree with you, and then the Cubs come home, like you mentioned, next week and play the Pirates so they can gain back any ground that they might have lost during that series with Texas. So it is going to be a tough week, but it should get a little bit easier after that. Yeah, it should. Uh, You know, we'll see, too, because this division, there's never going to be any days off. And in terms of the National League in general either, the, the Cubs are facing every team in the National League except for three look like they're going to be contenders this year, or at least trying to go for it. And when they're they're facing the AL West, I mean, they're going to have to face the Astros and the Angels of Mike Trout and the A's, who were a 97-win team last year. So, yeah, again, the, the Rangers are going to be one of the few rebuilding teams they'll see all year. So the fact that they only got one win was not good. But you're right, too, in that um, the Pirates, you know, maybe will will provide some some good games for them. But the Pirates also pitched very well against the Cubs last year. There was that stretch of, I think, six games in a row where the Cubs only managed one run against Pirates pitching. You're right about that. Well, the Cubs are back in action today against the Braves. You can tune into that one. I believe it's at 6 o'clock tonight. And that's about all the time we have here today. Thank you, Tony, for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on again. And we'll see you guys next time on the Cubs Corner, presented by Cubs Analyst. You can find episodes from this podcast on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming to the Cubs Corner.